Hey, and welcome to No Country for Brown Men. It's a podcast about being in your 20s, being Asian, being British, and not being a doctor, lawyer, or accountant. I'm Hussein Kizvani. And I'm Rohan Banerjee. And this is, sadly, the finale of season one. You can catch up on all our other episodes. We're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, and we're all other good audio news agents. Season finale. Yeah, I mean, it's gone a lot better than we ever expected. Yeah. Um, you know, we thought we were going to be oh. hounded off the airwaves. Oh, we kind of just assumed that, like, only our mums would listen to it. I mean, so that, it's that, good. That, that's not entirely untrue. Well, no, no, <laughs> my mum my doesn't listen to it. I'm so <laughs> she's just like, I, you know, I, I don't want to waste my time. <laughs> but we have got, we've got lots of people following us. We've got lots of people liking our stuff and sending us really yeah, positive we've, Yeah, we've had, uh, you know, we've had quite a high profile spat with uh, Raheem Kassam. Who also now supports our show so thank you to the Raheem Kassam Foundation for Islamic Education <laughs> um, so yeah let's have a quick recap on the kind of stuff we've looked at I mean the uh, the genesis for this show was largely out of Brexit the fallout of uh, the fallout of the referendum result and Trump mm. and you know what it meant to be you know how did you reconcile that balance between being Asian and being British so we've had you know we've talked about um, we've talked about like being an Asian millennial with Shiv Malik who was an excellent guest mm. we've had sport with Sasha Nakrani, uh, the Guardian sports features editor. Um, we had East, a former East Ender star Himesh Patel talk to us about um, his hopes for colourless roles in the mm. acting industry. Um, you know, it's been it's been a load of fun. Yeah. Um, but today, uh, I dare I say, um, you know, even better than my grandmother. Sorry, Dida. Uh, <laughs> I, we have got quite a high profile and interesting guest to round off the show. Yeah, your mum's just outside. <laughs> So without further ado, yeah, we have a very, very well-known comedian. Um, you might know him. His name is Ramesh Ranganathan. <laughs> have you ever seen any of his stuff before? No, I've not. This is going to go. This interview is going to go really, really well. <laughs> Sabiare, Akumi, Sabjeti, Lomi, 
Right, so as promised, for our season finale, we're joined on the show by one of Britain's top vegan comics, uh, Ramesh Raganathan. Welcome to No Country for Brown Men. Thanks very much for having me. Really nice room. Uh, <laughs> it looks like an interrogation chamber, but you've, it's nice you've got bottled water and that, but it is, so Nes- the, it is Nestle, so... The, the, the facade's over. Yeah, yeah. that's it. So, uh, oh shit! Have you been? Yeah, we've been. We've been acting like we had a very professional oh, studio. Right, okay. um, the gig is up. Uh, the gig is up. I mean, these walls are rank, mate. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, but thank you for having me. So I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to seem ungrateful. It's no, great. absolute, absolute pleasure. Pleasure is all ours. Right. So let's uh, let's t- talk a bit about your background. I mean, uh, anyone who has read your Wikipedia page will know. Uh, that you used to be a maths teacher. Yeah. So uh, how did you go from being a maths teacher to one of Britain's top vegan comics? Uh, I don't know one of Britain's... I would say I'm Britain's top vegan comic. <laughs> I mean, Sarah Pascoe's good, Michael Lewis good, Carl Donnelly, they're all good, but I would say I'm top, certainly of Sri Lankan origin. <laughs> so... Um, down. Yeah. Um, I, I was just... Well, I've always loved comedy. My, my first stand-up gig was when I was, like, nine. I was at Pontins Holiday Camp with my family. And then a talent competition. And I entered as a stand-up comedian. But I didn't really use any of my own material. I had a book, 3001 Jokes, and I used that to, to form my material. And then I delivered the whole set in a Sri Lankan accent because I thought I needed an edge. And I felt like the crowd would go for it. So in many ways, Omar Jalili sort of ripped me off. Um, uh, 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 and then um, yeah but then so, so I sort of always loved stand up and I sort of always watched it with my dad mm. and my family sort of my mum and dad my, mom, my dad's no longer with us but my dad was very much into sort of stand up same sort of thing as me really and my mum was very much into she loved um, like Peter Sellers you know that kind of uh, Inspector Cleese all that kind of comedy like slapstick yeah. my mum really loves all that so sort of a very comedy family so anyway I'd always wanted to sort of give it a go but when I started like so anyway I was teaching and I thought it'd be you know how all teachers are sort of failed something else you know like like (laughs) like, so you know like teach I just thought that would be me I'd like like I'd carry on teaching because I did like teaching and then I would do stand-up as like a little hobby thing and then the kids go oh Fred Rangers does a bit of stand-up you know but then then it just sort of it sort of, I started doing gigs, like open mic gigs. So you don't start off doing proper gigs. You start off like in a pub with like eight people mm. and, you, and you're shit. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then you carry on and you eventually sort of get to a point where you, you get better or you don't. Um, and then it sort of went from there, really. So it's sort of accidental. I didn't go into it thinking I'm going to do this for a career, but it just happened. What was it like, like doing comedy in a pub? Like, so you're a newcomer. I assume this is this is just my assumption. This is yeah. my assumption here that people haven't seen a tall brown man yeah. in a pub before. What like what was that whole experience like, especially as like a first timer? Um, it was fine, you know. Like, did you ever like get any shit from anyone or? I d- I d- like if you if you mean did I get heckles yes. for being brown? <laughs> yeah. Uh, not in, not at that stage. No, I think at that point, when they've seen you struggle to get the mic out the stand, they sort of think, okay, let's just see. If like, <laughs> I think it'd be a bit harsh now. Start shouting at this guy. He's barely got his, himself together. Do you know what I mean? But certainly, like later on, when I started doing pro gigs, like when you're doing the circuit, like on a Friday and Saturday night, because when you start off, you you've got to get to twenty minutes as a stand up, mm. right? If you've got twenty minutes, then you can start getting paid for it. Because when you go to comedy clubs and stuff like that. They wanted to do a twenty-minute set, so mm. 
a lot of that time you're doing like jonglers and places like that. So Friday and Saturday, so you go and you go and stay in whatever town you're performing in. Do Friday and Saturday night, and those are like drunk. You know, there's a lot of drunk crowds there, and I used to get stuff like oh terrorist or, um, you know, people would shout Taliban. Not I'm not so, not a lot. It happened though. It happens, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think I think once is probably too much, but mm, yeah. I don't want you to think that I was touring the country, having bud bud ding ding shouted at me like every gig, but like. Yeah. But it happened, you know, a handful of times. I remember, like, the worst for me mm. was, having said that that didn't happen, it has, did actually happen, was that I was, doing a, uh, I was doing a Christmas gig and this guy, just, like, really old-school racing, just kept saying bud, bud, ding, ding after everything I said, but not yeah. loud enough for anybody else around him to really hear. Yeah. He was just sort of saying it to his mates and they thought it was really funny. Mm. And so I'd sort of make a decision, because if I addressed it, like, I'm sure the crowd would have sort of turned on him, but it would have ruined the gig. Mm. Or I could just carry on and just, just like, this is one idiot, which yeah. is what I did. I just carried on. Because they couldn't hear. Nobody else could hear. Yeah. So I just thought, I don't really... Like, this guy's obviously an idiot. He's drunk. I'm just going to sort of finish the set and leave. Yeah. How long ago was that? It's like five years ago, something oh, like that. It's still pretty recent, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean... Don't get me wrong. I don't think that's not cutting edge racism. He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> he's gone, he's gone for an old school yeah. one. Do you know what I mean? So he's obviously nostalgic. Yeah. He could have gone for something modern, but he thought, you know what? It's not being used for a while. Yeah, I think we should bring it back. Are, nostalgic racists. Well, they're back in vogue, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. At the moment. You know, I, I think I it's, it's yeah. inevitable. Like you know, with all the sort of everybody sort of like likes the eighties and stuff like that. Yeah. Why would you not bring back some racial slurs? Yeah, just really sort of bring it in, you know. I kinda of grew up in a corner shop, like yeah. being called up who every so often. Right. Which was really offensive at yeah. the time, but I kinda of think but actually, you know, successful entrepreneur, good family man, yeah. you know, embrace yeah, it. Yeah, but you didn't say thank you, come again. No, I did not say you... thank you, come again. <laughs> um wasn't store policy, you just kind of grunt. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna ask that as a so Coming on to like being spontaneous in terms of your comedy stuff, your teaching must have really helped. And what I was interested in is, ha- did you have any like shit students that kind of gave you crap all the time, but you were able to kind of use skills from comedy as a way to deal with them, or vice versa? Did like teaching kind of help you? I think teaching uh, sort of helped me in terms. Of I wasn't worried about talking in front of a group of people. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think that. I think that it's a different set of like if. I'm at a comedy club. It doesn't really happen now because you're on tour and people are generally sort of on side. But when you're doing like comedy clubs where people <laughs> don't know you and like they say that like the audience have got like 30 seconds, they take 30 seconds to make their mind up about yeah. whether you're funny or not. So when you have, I think that, you know, if somebody heckled me then, I'll just slap, like you really, really go for them. Like hopefully make, if you make them cry, that'd be ideal. <laughs> That's the aim. Um, but you can't do that. As a, as a, as a teacher, you, it does help you in terms of a kid is not going to necessarily sort of outsmart you. But at the same time, there's no joy. If you humiliate a kid in front of the class, he's not going to hold his hands up and go, you got me. He's going to hate you mm. and resent you for the rest of your time there. So you have to sort of play it a bit differently. Do you know what I mean, I think what it does is, I think that with, with kids, with, with teaching, what I found was if the kids believe that you like them and genuinely have their best interests at heart, they will sort of forgive you anything. So yeah. even if you have a go at them, if they... If they genuinely know that's because you want the best for them, then they'll sort of let you get away with it. If they think you hate them or you don't care about their progress, that's it's quite it's quite a leap to go from uh, go from teaching into comedy as as uh, you know as, as we've established. But I mean, was there was there any kind of 
remorse or regret or like as in it, you know do you ever miss imparting knowledge onto the generation of tomorrow no <laughs> uh, no I don't think so uh, I, I mean like don't get me wrong like teaching was fun but like the only fun bit of it for me was being in the classroom really like you know that bit was great but there's so much to the job that isn't that so um, you know it. I don't miss it no is the honest answer I mean like I still keep in touch with like some of the kids I used to teach and stuff and sometimes I live near the school that I used to teach at mm. so sometimes I go past and you get a little bit nostalgic but and you know who knows comedy is such a transient thing in six months time I might be looking in the TES for like jobs again mm. but until that time comes I've got no inter- you certainly won't hear Romesh has chosen to go back into teaching <laughs> what you might hear is Romesh's career has taken such a nosedive he has to go back to teaching that mm. might happen you can teach comedy I mean, no. I mean, the thing is, I don't. I'm not one of these people that wants to support new talent. You know, what I, what I, sort of, I, I did. I did feel like that when I was coming up, and yeah. like, I was very grateful for. But you know, I certainly don't want to see more this comedians. Is what I tell you, pull yeah. the ladder out. We don't yeah, yeah. Any more people. Do you know what I mean? You close Scraps. the door. Do you know, when I see the, the worst thing for me is if I see a new Asian comedian. Absolutely. <laughs> like all you're doing is you're taking food out of my children's mouth. You know what? I, I was going to ask you that question. Even though comedy still needs work on diversity, it is one of those kind of creative areas where I'm seeing much more, much more Asian people coming in. Yeah, it's a shame. Possibly, <laughs> you know, possibly more so than journalism and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I was going to ask what all your thoughts are on that, but obviously that's a really awful and bad thing. But I kind of wonder, like, you know, do you think that with this new kind of you know new experiences and stuff like that is that kind of benefiting the comedy scene and I think I think I think I think they've always been I I, I think that what you're seeing now is you're seeing Asian comedians sort of doing non-Asian shows and stuff like that do you know what I mean and like you know you've got like Nish Kumar you've got Paul Chowdhury you've got like Tez Ilyas coming through like you've got all these people that that are doing these sort of things and I think that can only be good in terms of um, it's not Asian comedy is not a genre. Do you know what I mean? And and like you know, I don't. You know, I always thought like when I started doing stand up, I want to be the best comedian I can possibly. I don't want to be the best Asian comedian I possibly can be. Do you know what I mean? And so I think it's good to see people coming through. I think it's really yeah. good, but not for me personally. For me personally, it's a nightmare. <laughs> but for if you're talking about society, yeah. then yes, that's great. But I don't care about society. I care about my you, family. You were, you were kind of saying that you wanted to be the best comedian you could be. Yeah. Um, rather than hinging that on yeah. your being Asian. I just think that, like, I just think that if if I, you know, obviously my experiences are different because of my upbringing. Mm. But what I don't want is to only. I, I mean, I don't ever think about who I appeal to, to be honest with you. But I just sort of think I, I would, I would say what I think is funny. But I wouldn't ever, I wouldn't, I would never cater what I'm saying to target a particular market. Or I think yeah. certain people are going to like this, certain people are like that. I'm only when I'm writing, I only really think what do I think is funny. Do you do you feel that's kind of like a luxury though, in the sense of what I, what I mean is that any kind of Asian who works in creative, yeah. creative, whether it's us or any other comedian. 
um, we sometimes have to kind of ride on the fact that, you know, we are ethnic people and we are brown. Um, and sometimes you kind of get boxed into that. Yeah. Whereas what's really refreshing about you is that, you know, yes, we can kind of, you know, see the Sri Lankan side of you. We can see you as like a British Asian, but also the fact that you are appealing to a very, very wide demographic. Yeah. Um, and I guess my questions were in two parts. Like, what do you kind of think is the key component to kind of making jokes like that? Um, I, I can't remember the second one, I'm sure. Okay. I mean, there's only two parts you have to remember. There are only two parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but yeah I, I sort of really took your time over the first part. <laughs> Felt the pressure just, of really nailing that, and then the second the, part uh, just went away from this you. This is the teacher coming out. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is the this yeah, is yeah, yeah. Of yeah. Really nine. bad, man. Um, <laughs> um, I don't. Yeah, I don't really think about it. Really, I sort of. Uh, I, I, I sort of think that um, I just try and write what I think is funny, and uh, and. I don't worry about anything else. I think that's the only thing... I think any comedian... My advice to any comedian, not that I want to advise comedians or encourage them in any way, but and my <laughs> advice to comedians would be to just drive, be driven by what's funny. But the, the, problem, the problem for me is any time that I mention being Asian... Because obviously, regardless of how British I consider myself to be, my experiences are different from mm. a, a white a British person to a certain degree and every time I mention it the problem you get is like people say well you're always talking about your ethnicity you can't as a comedian as an Asian comedian you're basically screwed mm-hmm. because you can never say it the right amount as soon as I mention it I guarantee you if I mention it on anything I'll get a tweet going oh Ramesh banging on about his ethnicity again it's like oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah do you think that, like, I mean I know that you're saying that uh, Asian comedy shouldn't be a genre shouldn't be seen as a genre in itself yeah. um, but by proxy like what you're saying is you know there's almost an air of inevitability about it you're going to you're ultimately going to draw on your experiences now if your experiences happen to be relating to your ethnicity you, you're going to mention it and you know it's interesting you say you know regardless of how Brit- which you consider yourself to be, but obviously at the same time you're proud of your Sri Lankan heritage as well. So I was wondering then, like, what sort of balance would you say you've struck, and how would you say you've struck that balance? Uh, I don't, I don't think I have. Uh, I don't know if I have hit. You know, I've hit the balance. I've hit purely because those are my experiences. But like, the, the way that I see it is like, if I'm writing any kind of stand up, you know, I've got kids. And I talk about my kids in my stand-up. My attitude towards that is the same attitude towards whether I was writing about being Asian or whatever. Is that you? I don't want you to have to have had kids to appreciate the mm. joke that I'm doing, yeah. and I don't want you to have to be Asian to understand what I'm saying. What I'm trying to do is go to a white guy sitting in the audience. Imagine if you're an Asian bloke. Mm. This is what is that? You know, put yourself in that position, and then that's how it goes. So. Mm. I don't. I've not deliberately hit any balance, and probably there are times when I've probably gone too far one way or too far the other way. But it's not my job to worry about that. You know, I just sort of like do what I think is funny. Hopefully, my own kind of desire to be good will control that. Mm. And if I ever felt like, uh, you know, sometimes I might look at a tour show and go, "God, you banged on about that a bit too much." Just <laughs> knock it on the head. I mean, I did like my last show. I talked about Blackfish. You know that film about Sea World or whatever. And then a mate of mine came to watch it. And he said to me, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I never want to hear you say anything else about Blackfish ever again. I mean, you talked about it at length. (laughs) We're going to continue having conversation about Blackfish now. Join us for part two, where we are going to talk more about comedy, identity and beards. My excess weight and my lack of attractiveness is one of the main reasons I've never cheated on my wife. (laughs) It's not the number one reason. The number one reason is because I love her very much, but... 
thank you. But a close second <laughs> is lack of opportunity. I, I mean, it's, there is no point in denying that. It's easy to be faithful when you're repulsive, isn't it? I mean, I can't even fantasise about another woman because that fantasy is ruined by the fact that in that fantasy I would have to be there. Jimmy, it's a, it's a massive turn off. It doesn't matter how hot the woman is, eventually my gelatinous bulk has to rock up. So. <laughs> fantasise about a woman, I first got to fantasise about six months of intensive cardio. Do you know? <laughs> Fuck that. Welcome back to No Country for Brown Men. We are in the studio with Ramesh Raghunathan. How are you? Really good. We had a really great chat about Blackfish just now, right? Yeah, yeah it's good. It's a shame that you didn't decide to record it. But... <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, on the, that's on the premium edition, but yeah, people right. have to pay us oh, £800, £800 right. for exclusive access. rupees, you mean. 800 rupees? What are you going to buy for 800 rupees? <laughs> um, OK, so Ramesh, we were kind of talking about identity in the last segment. We talked to lots of all have our guests. Because it's sort of the way you're saying we wanted to talk to you about it. I yeah. feel like... You've got some issues. Well, the truth is, this is actually and you're sort of bringing me in here to sort this out. <laughs> we, kind of only, I mean? we kind of only talk now. Yeah. I, I try not yeah, to. Ask him about him. why he left teaching. <laughs> ask him about what he thinks about identity. Why does he do so many brown jokes? I get. I don't. Think, I'm not dumb, mate. I get what's going on here. Do you know what I mean? Teacher. Yeah. yeah you, you don't want to. You don't want to read our text messages um, to each other. Um, this show kind of came out of Brexit. Uh, and it kind of the reason why is because it kind of made lots of us kind of rethink what our identity and place is in Britain and you're kind of at the centre of that being a comedian you kind of talk about these issues when people look at you as a comedian they kind of they sometimes I don't know maybe maybe this is just us but they kind of associate you as being a good integrated immigrant that we should all aspire to be Um, so number one do you think you're a good integrated immigrant that we should all aspire to be and (laughs) um, and um, how did you kind of feel after Brexit like did it kind of make you feel differently about your place in this country and like the work that you do no Uh, I mean no (laughs) okay we're done then alright let's go I sort of uh, I sort of I don't know, man. I, I've got mixed feelings about it because, yeah. like, you know, I... Did you vote to leave? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought, fuck it. You know what I mean, like... <laughs> the thing is, let's be absolutely honest. No, I don't think before this referendum I heard anyone going, isn't it great to be in Europe? Isn't it wonderful? I didn't hear yeah. anyone saying that. And then all of a sudden, well, you're passionate about it. I just thought, no, just, just leave. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 like, <laughs> okay, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Farage is not, he's quite a charismatic guy. Yeah. If he says it's a good idea, I like the bus. I don't care if it was a lie, I just thought it was a nice colour. At least they've made the effort. You know what I don't understand is, the, the bus had a lie on it, but at least they bothered to do a bus. Do you know what I mean? Where was the, I didn't see any nice bus like that. Do you know what I mean? What, Remain bus? I want Remain bus going, the other bus is lying. Where, where was that bus? We had Bob Geldof on a boat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bob Geldof on a boat. Do you know what I mean? What are you talking about? They've got a bus, mate. So, um, this is the point where we actually point out that Ramesh's first name is actually Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. So it's a bit of a sleeper agent revelation going yeah, on yeah. here. Yeah. I, uh, no, the truth is, I was slightly removed from it and I didn't know... Well, the reason I was removed from it is because I wasn't in the country, right, when it all... So I, so I, I was filming Asian Provocateur and yeah. I, was in, I was in the woods in Canada when the result came out. Okay. It. So um, I remember one of the producers on the show, 
I've, I went to Canada, America to film that show thinking it was a formality. I think as many people did that we were just going to remain. Mm. Um, and then certainly looking at my Facebook, I thought, there's absolutely no way. We're definitely staying. And then he said, I oh, know we're, 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 we're leaving. Mm. And, um, and then I started reading all these stories about, about all this sort of open racism and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and then I sort of thought, well, that's bad. It is bad, obviously. I mean, I don't mean to tell you that racism is bad, but yeah. at the same time, this sort of... I think so. Yeah. I think so. In some yeah. occurrences, sometimes I'm it can be funny. I'm currently Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if, if there was no such thing as racism, then this show wouldn't exist. Yeah. No, that's true. So that, no, that's true. So that's, a, that's another negative against racism. Yeah, that's another... I mean, one of the most... <laughs> that's one of the most damning indictments of racism I think I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> that it creates yeah, this, this podcast. Well, that's the thing, that's Bre- the- you know, Brexit... Okay, you know, to I assume most of our audience, Brexit's a really bad thing, but... How can you... Why are you assuming that? Well, you know, I, I look at our follower count right. and, you know, none of them have, you know, called us Ramonas, do you, do you so... Do think they might be closet... Closet Brexit. I mean, they they they, they could they could be. I don't know. Raheem Kassam must have listened to the show because we had like massive. Well, Hussein had a massive spat with him, and then yeah. I got I got blocked my, as part of of the fallout of that. Yeah, my cousin Raheem. Yeah. Um. You know. He, he, <laughs> I mean, that, that that was that entire saga was just a farce. But yeah. Yeah. you know, he he was obviously pro Brexit and whatever, and standing in gold lifts and getting you know, golden showers or whatever. Yeah, but, um, you know... <laughs> it's living the dream. I mean, you know, and maybe he's kind of just riding this wave and, you know, making money out of it. And, you know, we were talking about how, yeah, this is pretty shit, but, you know, you can come up with some new material and, well, that's you know, that, yeah, make that's, some money that's, from that's, it. That's, yeah, I... Do, I, do, I, do, uh, I well, I would only say what I genuinely believe. Yeah. And, and the, the truth is you can't really, like, from my experience of, like, talking about Brexit on TV or like in comedy and stuff like that mm. is that whatever you say you sort of get into trouble for do you know what yeah. I mean like I, 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 I've said lots of anti-UKIP things on TV yeah. and I sort of got slaughtered for that what kind of things like do they tweet at you uh, they, you're a comedian so they must kind of like expect it yeah but I mean that like do they get like really offended yeah, I mean, I've had it. Look, I, had, I, I said something about I said something on Mock the Week about thinking that old people should just be allowed to be racist. Yeah. Because it's too difficult for them to sort of change. <laughs> and do you know what I mean? They've got a lot going on. Yeah. So, and then it's just a joke. And then I got a death threat. Like I got a, like a message on my website saying, mm. my grandparents didn't fight in the war for like packies like you to to say things like that on TV. And if mm. I find out where you live, I'm going to kill you and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. I sort of, you know, obviously that is not a credible threat. That is a man that needs help. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't mean mental help. I mean just social help. He's obviously on his own. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Much like I imagine you are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the one who sends you these messages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So, you do get stuff like that. But then at the same time, I went on What the Week and I talked yeah. about how, how terrible I think Jeremy Corbyn is as an MP. Oh, he's horrific. Yeah. Oh. Like how, and then I got told that that, you know, I've got the exactly the opposite. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're anti-left, blah. blah, blah. Yeah. So you sort of wh- when yeah when that happens, you sort of think it doesn't. I just say what I think, really. I I, I, yeah. I wouldn't ever, I wouldn't ever follow an angle for the sake of of mm. of sort of thinking that's going to get me some gain. The only yeah. reason I would do that is I tend to have a contrarian instinct. Yeah. So like, 
so that that sort of drives what I think about saying. Do you, do you kind of feel that comedy is a bit harder now in the sense of because everyone is so kind of embedded to their identities and the beliefs that come with it and they do, you know, we have this term that goes around the internet called like special snowflake and I personally feel that like almost everyone is in some way or form like a special snowflake. They all have, you know, their own sensitivities and they don't want you to touch them. Yeah. And as a comedian, your job is to kind of, you know, satirise them and to, and, and to trigger them yeah. effectively. Um, do you kind of feel that that's harder to do? Um, do you just not care? I don't... Um, do you just not care? I don't really... I don't massively care about offending people. You know, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't I wouldn't say anything deliberately sort of hurtful or whatever. And, I, yeah. you know, there's certain things I wouldn't say just because I personally wouldn't say them. Mm. But I don't, if somebody gets offended, I don't really care. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. you're supposed to be able to joke about everything. I mean, I did a thing for like, I did, I did a thing where I, 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 I complained about referees and somebody said it's offensive. My son's yeah. training to be a referee. It's not my problem. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I should be allowed, I should be allowed to, it's not, you know, it's not my fault yeah. your son's decided to be a referee. Everyone's got this. It's exactly why those people are the last... He, he, he should not be allowed to adjudicate on whether what I said was yeah. offensive or not because he's too close to it. Yeah. It's the same reason why when you don't allow the family of someone that's a victim of a crime to decide what the sentence is. Do you know, sure. They're too close to it. So I don't really care because everything you say, you get trouble. Like You get some sort of, oh, you're just you're towing this line or you're saying that or whatever. Yeah. So then when you hear that so much, you just think, I don't, you know, I don't care. Like I'll say what I think... And then there have been times when I've said things that as the only time I get really worried is the first time I'm saying these things. Mm. Like, uh, it's like, so if I've got an idea, so I had an idea. So there's a bit of stand up that I do in my latest show where I talk about that the biggest problem with ISIS is not their ideologies, but they're just, they're not very good at what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and what I would do if I was an ISIS member to sort of like yeah. improve their sort of effectiveness. <laughs> And th- and that's fine now because I've yeah. done it a few times. But the first time I pushed that idea out, yeah. I'll be honest, I was a little bit. I was thinking, I mean, this could go badly. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I don't think anyone's going to kill me. Yeah. But well, maybe ISIS would. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, no. Well, they haven't got me yet. So unless it's unless they <laughs> unless they specifically listen to this podcast, unless this after all this time of me saying it on tour, it's this podcast that finally alerts them to it. <laughs> That would be a horrible thing because I'm not even they're, getting paid. They're for our this. biggest demographic, and they were all Remainers as well. Yeah. So yeah. God, really yeah, yeah. God, this is going really badly, isn't it? So um, you know, we, we've we've kind of touched on it there, and we've spoken as a running theme like the correlative relationship between Brexit and augmented racism and whatnot. And like, I'm from South Thanet, and uh, which was obviously a very pro-Brexit area Uh, and I noticed that in the aftermath of Brexit suddenly um, I'm not saying that like people have suddenly become racist it's that people with certain views have suddenly felt faux legitimised and more confident about saying it but that's good is that that a good thing I don't like getting them out of the woodwork well I just think like like you, you, people haven't suddenly started thinking like this. They thought like that before. They just hid it. Yeah. I'd much rather know you're a bell end than <laughs> suspect you're a bell end, but <laughs> not know for definite. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, true. do you know what I mean? Like, so if you if you if you're racist, if you suddenly come out and you say it's because of Brexit, great. So now I know definitely not to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Rather than you look, you gave me a sideways glance in a shop, and I'm not sure. Now I know because I saw your Facebook post. Yeah. I just think it's. I'm not. Listen. I, I'm sort of being slightly tongue in cheek. But the point of the matter is, is assuming 
that the Brexit result led to more racism is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. It's the same amount of racism. It's just that these people feel like empowered. Good, good. Good you feel empowered. And then we'll have a kick against it in the future because all of these people were existing in the undergrowth do you know I mean having these feelings, not yeah. saying them, and we were like, we were all walking along, going, "Oh, isn't it great? Racism's on the way out." It wasn't, mate. They just went underground. It went hardcore, like drum and bass you know, in the early two yeah. thousands. Do you know what I mean? And now, and on that point, could I, could I ask you a question that was very relevant this weekend? Go on. Um, would you punch a Nazi? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you saw a Nazi, would you punch him? If I just saw a Nazi, if you saw, if you saw a Nazi doing Nazi things, yeah, like, what do you mean? No, okay, like, okay. So if, it, if it's yeah. somebody just waving at yeah. someone and I, it looks Nazi, that's <laughs> not. That's okay, not so, so to add context to this, this okay. weekend, um, during the women's march yeah. in Washington, yeah, a actual Nazi called Richard Spencer, yeah, gave a talk to some. He was he was speaking to some international TV network, and he's a very prominent Nazi on the internet and stuff. And everyone knows that you know he advocates for effectively like pushing out everyone who is non-european yeah. out of america and some guy punched him right and most of the internet was like yes you punch nazis because nazis are terrible people right and you can't reason with nazis but there was a small minority of people who were like maybe we shouldn't punch nazis maybe we should punch them with our words debate them. And I was just kind of wondering what your thoughts were on that. Uh, I mean, I sort of think both of those arguments are insane. I mean, I, I think yeah. I think punching, I think punching, <laughs> I, I think punching a Nazi yeah. is ridiculous because. Okay. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a, there's an element of satisfaction, and if yeah. you knock a Nazi unconscious, I imagine there's some sort of good feeling afterwards. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, what you're doing is you're just encouraging the siege mentality that's led to, you know, this sort of the the, the, the left are constantly being accused of not being able to accept opposing arguments. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And that just exacerbates that. Do you, do you know what I mean? Do you mean, do you think that Nazism follows any rationale? How is that a, like, how is Nazism a, uh, you know, how is that a cogent argument? Why is that something that the left should be willing to entertain Listen, and debate? He, he, if he's inciting violence, then I think it's one thing. But then to get angry about someone inciting violence by punching them, I think is ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. Right? So... So if he's inciting violence, I get it. But the, the fact of the matter is, as a, repulsive as you might find his views to be, he still has a right to hold those views. He still has a right to talk about them, yeah. right? And don't get me wrong, I think it's repulsive and I think it's disgusting, but I still would stand by his right to, exp to express those views. That's what I think. I think if you, if you then say you're going to try and reason with a Nazi, <laughs> good luck. Do you know what I mean? Like, like good luck. I, I, I don't know. I think there's, it's, there's, there's far more... It's far more difficult. You're not going to... No Nazi or nobody. No, I don't think... I don't know anybody that's entrenched in their views that un, after a thorough arguing with is going to hold their hands up and go, do you know what? You absolutely smashed that, mate. <laughs> I, 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 I've totally abandoned my my set of views and I'm on board with what you're saying. I don't think that ever happens, is it? You might get you might get a softening of views. You might get somebody thinking about something. Mm. But I just think it's, it's far more deep-rooted than that. If people are racist in this country... Or we need to look at why that that's it's actually a long term. So you can't just you can't just paint over that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You've got to try and figure out what are the what are the underlying reasons. One of the main reasons is that the major parties have refused to talk about. Were too scared to talk about immigration as an issue until UKIP came and started talking about it. And then all of a sudden they've jumped on the bandwagon and said, "Oh yeah, yeah, you know, immigration is a priority." I don't, I don't. They were all terrified 
I've even talking about immigration mm. beforehand. For, I just, you know, there's, I'm, I mean, I'm sort of talking from a position of ignorance. I don't read enough. But the fact of the matter is, I think that it's a, b- a bit more complicated than that. I think, but in answer to your question, punching a Nazi, not yeah. for me, mate. Not for you. Not for me. Right. I wouldn't even arm wrestle them. That's the honest truth. Well, no, it may be arm wrestle. <laughs> if, 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 I was, if I said to him, listen, I'm going to arm wrestle you. Yeah. If you lose this, then you have to abandon your set of views. And if I lose it, I become a Nazi. I think that, that at least you're offering a, a that's actually something I mean, there's, there's at least that. 10 Daily Mail articles in, in that, that exchange <laughs> Nobel Prize uh, Nobel you know, Prize bro. yeah exactly I mean okay so let, let, let's move on a little bit um, so let's talk about mixed race relationships which yeah. is something that we've touched on in the show in the past sort of yeah uh, <laughs> like so you know this will be, this will be you're, you're, uh, you're, 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 you're in a mixed race relationship yeah um, congratulations you know, do you, uh, listen let me just tell you boys it's as magical as you've heard you it really know? is it, the, <laughs> the skin's softer the hair is silkier just everything about it is honestly mate the grass the grass is really is green over here you need to come check it out yeah come over and graze do you ever worry that some of your some of your wife's white relatives like you know secretly hate you Uh, no I I, I sort of no I don't I'm more concerned I, to be honest with you, I'm more concerned the other way. I think I think that the the, 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 the the biggest concern for me was whether like my mum was going to be alright about it, rather than you know her mum and dad. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think my dad like my dad's got eight brothers, and and like my dad and one of his other brothers are the only two guys from the family that married Sri Lankan women. Like everyone else, it's like a Bennett on advert. Our family, so so <laughs> so like so it wasn't really an issue. But like I don't, you know, I don't. I haven't experienced. You know, I've I've gone out with and, and listen, boys. I'm not, I'm not showing off, but I've been out with more than one, one white woman, right? And and and, and while I've never I've never touched wood. I mean, I don't know. Why I'm touching wood. I'm, I don't plan on leaving my wife. So I don't know why. I'm <laughs> trying to guarantee, guarantee this is not going to happen in the future. But I've never had parents have a problem with me going out with their daughters. What I have had is just funny stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I used to talk about this. I went for I went for dinner at an Indian restaurant with. Um, with my girlfriend's family mm. and they started asking me about all the dishes yeah. and then I was like well I'm like I'm Sri Lankan do you, yeah. do, do you know what I mean like I do, and also I, I mean I was born in Crawley do you, like, do you know what I mean and they'll start going to me what's in this how do they make this I don't I'm not employed by the Crown of India, mate. I, I, I've got absolutely no idea. This is why I don't go to Indian restaurants. I just find them. I find them too awkward to be in. My dad. My dad got so annoyed because, like, he was convinced that Asian people get worse service in Indian restaurants than white people do. I think right? My dad thinks this. Is right. Wrong. So what? So one time. Now you've got to remember this. That we. That there was. This is in the eighties. So like, we weren't as au fait with the 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 tropes of Indian restaurants as we are now. Right. So my dad had asked this question. Does a biryani come with rice? Now, admittedly, now that would be an insane question, yeah. right? But back then, it was still a point of conjecture. So, like, my dad had said, uh, "Does a biryani come with rice?" He goes, "Yeah, it comes with rice. You know, you know, you know, it does." And my dad said, "Hold on a minute. No, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you, <laughs> right?" It was really awkward. He goes, "Now, because the reason I asked you the question is because I don't, so don't tell me I know and it just really it was just really horribly awkward and speaking of which you have an interesting first name don't you 
It's Jonathan. Have we have we already talked about that? We talked about it, but we've revealed it. Yeah. Well, I think. Yeah. I mean, revealed is an insult to me because I didn't know this. I didn't know this on my tour. So the idea that nobody knows about it and suddenly this small time podcast has revealed it to the world. Yeah. I find that quite insulting. Ah, I was hoping we'd get a scoop there. There's no scoop, mate. And where did you... F- you didn't find it out from my family. I mean, you just looked on Wikipedia or some shit, right? So does everyone call you John, then? No. No. One, no. Everyone calls me Romish, except for one English teacher from my middle school. Why did she insist on calling you John? He. He. What a massive assumption, by the way. What a massive just, assumption on your part. Wow. Wow. <laughs> middle school teacher must be a woman. You disgust... That's why... You can never have a white woman. Do you know that? Because of, because of your because of your narrow-minded attitudes, mate. It's a shame. It's a real shame for you. This has just become like a race. And it's so good. Over, I tell you, it's they're so good. It's like the race <laughs> um, No, but there's like basically, you know, like at the beginning of the year, the teacher's got the standard register from like yeah. whatever, from the council, whatever it is. Anyway, she, he, she, you've got me doing it now. He said. <laughs> So every time the register, they'd say Jonathan, and then I'd go, yeah, I'd go on Romesh. Everyone knows me as Romesh. So it happened again. Yeah. Goes Jonathan. I said, actually, everyone knows me as Romesh. And he goes, why? I said, well, it's just that that my parents are sort of my, but they just gave me this other name, but everyone, I go by Romesh. It's my middle name. And he said, what's wrong with Jonathan? And I said, there's nothing wrong with Jonathan. It's just that nobody knows me as Jonathan. (laughs) And then he said, "Uh, no, I'm going to call you Jonathan. And for the rest of the year, this one man, just called me Jonathan he the whole time. You. I don't know what his problem was, man. I don't know what his problem was. Maybe he was racist. It's more syllables. Uh, maybe he was racist. <laughs> maybe he was racist. Maybe he was a woman. <laughs> that would that would certainly make you happier with the story, wouldn't it? Okay, so uh, <laughs> let's uh, let let's round it off with something a little less hostile towards Hussein. No, it is gonna. Uh, I'm looking at the list. It is gonna be hostile. Yeah. Why is Hussein a prick? <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> You're sporting a pretty impressive beard. Yeah. Uh, so we had Thank Himesh you. Patel on the show before, yeah. and he had a beard as well. It wasn't wasn't quite as refined. So what what's the reason for? Is it fashion? Is it laziness? Or do you just enjoy getting stopped in airports? Uh, very good looking. <laughs> the surface area of my face being exposed is right. probably the best thing. I actually initially started from just being lazy, like I'd sort of just sort of let it go for a bit and then I thought oh if I keep this then I don't have to shave every day but then it started to get like you're sporting quite a nice kind of I got it trimmed you've got kind of um, what is that sort of a method man kind of beard (laughs) it's the kind of look you've got do you know what I mean no it's the go to a Turkish barber and say I want my beard cut and they just like sit down but you don't, they don't, you need, they don't, they don't even ask because it used to be quite bushy and like, like some hot water on not it. as long as yours, but it was like quite, and I just, I wanted it to just be like your standard kind of shaped beard. And yeah. they were like, no, no, sit down. We'll sort it out. And then right. they just like got a razor and was like, Psh. so it's nice, yeah, all right. It's to keep like, it's really cold outside. So yeah. I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually quite annoying having a bit like it's as much maintenance as, I mean, mine's out of condition at the moment, but I was going to ask, like, how do you, how do you condition your? Uh, well, I've got a beard shampoo, and then I use yeah. uh, a mango and vanilla oil. Oh, okay. And then I've got sort of like a little brush that occasionally I sort Take of... Take more care of your beard than your hair. Yes, I probably do. I, I think, like, there's something about men and having sort of, like, rituals like that to do with shaving. Something about the theatre of shaving and all that kind of stuff. Like, 
I like the idea of like if I didn't have a beard, I'd like the idea of having a proper like shaving brush and like doing. All, I like all of that. Do you know, there's something about that. About- I think those routines start with American Psycho. I think it begins yeah, when yeah. you watch American Psycho yeah. and you see the morning routine and you think, actually, yes, he is crazy, but that's very efficient. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is with with the beard is that like. I can go out having done nothing to it. Or I could go out having done all of the trimming up and getting the lines yeah. all clean and stuff. Nobody ever notices. You sort of think, <laughs> I just don't know what the point of this is. Yeah. Does your I mean? wife not notice either? Or... She, no, I mean, my wife taking an interest in how I look, those days are long gone, mate. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We are both just waiting to die now. You know I mean? It's not like... There is no... I can't think of the last time she said, you look nice. I, I genuinely can't. And to be honest, I don't, I don't mind. I'm just grateful she hasn't left. Do you know what I mean? Because so, white... Honestly, she's white. She's so white. I'm saying, you would not believe how magical it is. Every day I walk and I go, oh my God, she's still white. And on that bombshell, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Ramesh. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, We'll be back in March with our second series of No Country for Brown Men. Okay, so because Ramesh uh, roasted Hussein so much, he's now in a flood of tears in the corner, uh, leaving me to do the outro. So once again, thanks so much for listening. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. Our handles are rbanerjee23 and... Uh, uh, at H. Kesvani. Uh, <laughs> you, you can follow our main Twitter account. It's at NC for the numeral Brown Men. Um, we've also got an email on our Twitter page. Can't no remember. Country for Brown Men at gmail.com. I thought it was more complicated than that. Um, and remember, you can listen to all our old episodes. We're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud. I think we're on ACAST. Yeah. Um, and we'll be back in March. Inshallah. Yeah.